0: Okay, I'm going to start with your first question you all have. What happened to Aaron's face? (laughs) Which I know everybody, seriously, it's just like people keep asking, I'm like, just wait, and then I'll explain it. Um, This is what happens when you are a kid and no one puts sunscreen on you, and then you get older and your dermatologist goes, we're going to burn that face off. And so um, I I actually had, I go every six months and he burns my face, and then this time he goes, you got a lot, so just use the cream. This is what happens when you use the cream. It, it's really bad. So on Thursday, we were doing this thing, and Donald, one uh, of the guys that does video a lot, he he goes, what's the name of that guy in Russia? And I go, Gorbachev. He goes, you look like Gorbachev. <laughs> and I'm all, thanks. My wife, on the other hand, thinks I look like someone who's on drugs. Uh, so. Wednesday morning, I'm leaving here. I walk out the back door and there's this kid from Delta. Parks underneath the tree. It's the best parking spot, by the way, because it has shade all class time. And I walk out and I got my hoodie up to stay out of the sun. And I'm all, hey, that's a great parking spot. And she goes, you look like someone who's going to go asking for money like you're on drugs. Because the kid's like, uh, I'm going to leave. And I'm like, you don't have to leave. (laughs) Just like, hey. Like, you know, I, I don't know. I hope it's not stolen my face by Halloween. She goes, "You got your Halloween costume." Yeah. Anyway, if you have kids, put sunscreen on them, please. Don't ink. Uh. All right. Uh, oh, someone else said it looks like I got in a fight with the bear, like on The Revenant. That makes me sound much more like cool. Like, oh, and I, I survived. My face didn't, but I survived. Okay. So there you go. That's what happened to my face. Get over it. Don't let it distract you the entire time. Second thing I want to tell you about is on October 10th, two weeks from today, uh, if you don't know this, there's a lot of questions back and forth about COVID. Yeah, okay. And we've decided one of the best ways to get you guys some information is my wife got me in touch with the head of the doctors at the ER. And she is going to come at 1230 on October 10th. And she is going to answer your questions. So she is going to show up. And if you are someone who's like, what about this and what about that? She is more than willing to answer those. She'll talk about vaccines and what's going on in our county, what's going on in our in our hospital, the things that she can actually share. And then we're gonna let you ask questions. We're gonna have you write down, the, so it's not a free for all. We're gonna have you write down your questions. I will ask her your questions. If there's follow-ups, we'll go ahead and do that. If you're watching on the live stream, we're gonna live stream it as well. And you can send your questions to the live stream. We'll go ahead and ask her those questions. But she is gracious and she is kind and sweet. She is nice. And I'm asking you guys to be the exact same way. Be graceful and kind because I know you guys can be. And I would. So if you have questions, if you're posting things on Facebook about this or that, and you just assume things are true or not, uh, let her come and explain. You may not believe her on the backside. Okay, whatever. But she is more than willing to come and talk and answer questions. I think it's kind of a good way for us to maybe get our heads around some of this. I talked to the staff about it this week and they said, oh, that's a great idea. So again, 1230, October 10th, we'll announce it next week as well, put in the email update. Just put on your calendar and she'll be right after this service. She'll come and do that. So hopefully that'll be really good for all of us. Welcome to Element if you're new. Uh, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables throughout the room. I had to look and make sure we still got some. Uh, and what these sermon notes do for this series is on this side, you get a little paragraph that kind of recaps what we're talking about. And underneath this for five days during the week, we have a question and then something to pray through. And if you have never started like a, like a daily quiet time with God, this is going to be an easy way to do that. Uh, you're going to read the Psalm, you're going to answer the question and pray through the prayer request that's right there it's a way to kind of get started and on the other side you get questions you can talk about in community maybe with your spouse uh, with friends uh, with a gospel community if you're in one you kind of walk through some of those questions there on the back side you get the psalm we're walking through and then the verses that we're going through as well so you get kind of all these different steps as we walk through this series together and i personally uh, think. Hard copies are better because I like having it in my hand, but if you have a smart device, you can download an app called Uversion, and you click on more and then events in Uversion. We come up by GPS in your device, and you will get the sermon notes and the verses and the questions, the announcements, all we go through, but and you can do those on your phone. I just sometimes find a hard copy easier to do that with day by day because it kind of sits in front of me, so you can grab one of those. All right, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? And this is Psalm 122, verse 1, and it says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, today we ask that you would take us and move us to a place where we understand where our gladness comes from, and that we see the worth and the value of who you are, and that you in our lives would be first and foremost above and before all thanks, that we would worship you as the God who has come to rescue us, that our worship would be true and real and focused upon you. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing this series to what we are calling the Songs of Ascent, or Ascents, and that's as we walk out the rest of the year of 2021. Now, these psalms, or Songs of Ascents, were songs that travelers would sing and pray and recite as they went up to Jerusalem for one of the major feasts on, of that day. The reminders of why we worship God, of the direction our hearts are supposed to go as we worship God, as we make this Journey. Now, sometimes they're actually called ascents, plural, because sometimes people made multiple ascents during the year, and they're good for us to be for us to see because we wanna be a people who travel this life with Christ Himself, that we walk every day with Him, knowing Him, growing closer to Him and His grace and His restoration that He brings. And so as we walk through these, we are doing these in terms of what's known as discipleship. Uh, These Psalms will start in Psalm 120 and they will go through Psalm 134. And this is for us in our terms of discipleship. I told the guys I wouldn't do this, like walk away from the podium today, but I'm gonna do this real quick. Uh, it's supposed to be like a journey, okay? And we're walking our journey And so this is where we start. Our first step in this journey of discipleship is where we go to repentance. And where we come back to who God calls us to be in the world. We come back realizing we are His image bearers, that God calls us to Himself. We believe His truth. We set aside all the lies that we've been telling ourselves. And so the second step we take is that we trust God for the things that He has said. That's why we return, because we trust Him. And now the third step goes to what we call Worship. I don't know what we do next week. I've got no more steps. But, you know, we go to worship because in the end, where else can it go when those two places start is to go to worship. Now, as I said before, I'm basing a lot of these messages out of this book that came out years ago. I read it 20 plus years ago called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's by a guy named Eugene Peterson, and it's all about these steps of discipleship. He will actually take these Hebrew songs of ascent. And he will translate them into modern language of his day, which was a couple decades ago. So it's not so modern anymore, but that's what it, he wanted people to start to pray those songs again. And today we actually have a deeper fullness and understanding than the original Psalm writers did because we get to see Jesus because they're all about Jesus. Now, even though that's true, we still live our lives as a people who love Jesus in the same places as everybody else in the world. We travel the same ground everybody else walks on, uh, we breathe the same air, we drink the same water, uh, we mostly shop in the same shops unless someone's boycotting this or that (laughs) or or whatever. I was gonna say we read the same news stories, but that's not actually true today because if you only watch stuff online, it gets curated for you. And so things only come to you based upon the things that you read. So maybe not that, but we'll pay the same prices for grocery or gasoline unless you know a guy uh, and we mostly have the same pressures uh, stressors we will be buried in the same ground or burned in the same ovens but the difference these songs are supposed to make in us is to teach us that every step that we take we are a people who are preserved by God himself Uh, Peterson actually ends last week on trusting God with these words. Psalm 121, learned early and sung repeatedly in the walk with Christ, clearly defines the conditions under which we live out our discipleship, which in a word is God. Once we get the psalm in our hearts, it will be impossible for us to gloomily suppose that being a Christian is an unending battle against ominous forces that at any moment may break through and overpower us. It's the idea that our faith has an object of faith, and that is Christ himself, who has proven who he is in the gospel and what he did to rescue and save us. And so Christ guards us when we come and when we leave. He keeps us now. He keeps us on always, which leads again into Psalm 122, which is worship, because how could that not lead to worship? Uh, As I was writing this message just the day before when I was writing this, we were allowed to meet again under the COVID-19 pandemic, but meeting together came with a 13-page document of all the things that we had to do. Now, there was tons of outcry about this from people all over the place about the government is telling us we can't worship. And I actually got into it with a little bit with somebody in the middle of this. And I said, do you understand the government as much as they say you couldn't worship? That doesn't stop you from worshiping. Worshiping is not just done in a building. Now, should we long to gather together? Of course we should. But someone saying you're not allowed to worship doesn't stop anybody from actually worshiping if we understand what true worship actually is. Open your Bibles to Psalm 122, that's on page 332, if you have an element Bible. Now, I understand the frustration that came about during the pandemic. I really do, because a lot of it didn't make sense. Like, you could stand in line at a retailer like Costco or Walmart, but kids couldn't stand in line to get a diploma. A large store said open, mom and pop shops had to close. But the biggest outcry was around this word, worship worship. And as much as people are saying that the government outlaws worship, that actually didn't happen because it could never actually happen when we understand what worship actually is. Psalm 122 starts with these words. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was glad. It's this thing of actually gathering together should be something we look forward to, that we long to do as a people. But God's people, even when saying this, they were allowed to worship anywhere. They had synagogues in their own towns, but corporately together as a people, they gathered in unity in this place in the temple for their different feasts. Israel had that one temple in Jerusalem. Today, people have this idea that you can't worship if you're not in a church. And I do appreciate the sentiment. And I do believe that God calls us to gather together, but a building is not the place we worship God to get today. Should we gather together? Yes. Should our focusing on who God is cause us to gather together? Yes, it should. But let's start with this question, what is worship? What is it actually? Today I'm going to quote to you a bunch of different people because I want you to get this deeper understanding than just Aaron saying this. So I want you to hear what other people say about worship as well. Now the word worship comes from a word that means worthship who or what is worthy of our lives. There are worship songs that say, you are worthy of all praise. What that means is God is worth it because no one else is as worthy as God. One writer says it like this, true worship is valuing or treasuring God above all things. And that's what the Psalms of Ascent are meant to do. Move us to a place where we value and we treasure God above all things. And when we do that, we then have to ask the question is, do our lives bear that out? and how we begin to live. Do our lives bear out that we truly value God more than anything else? And this kind of moves into the purpose of the journey of the people going to worship God in the Psalms. They were gathering together because it was important for them to get together as a people. Not that you couldn't worship any other way, but it was important for them to gather. Now people today, including Christians, have a lot of reasons why we don't get together in corporate worship. Some people say, yeah, it's my kid's soccer day or my parents maybe when I was little, so I don't like it. Uh, church is full of hypocrites. Totally true, I get it, and at that, that. But it doesn't do a lot of good to argue with people about going to church corporately until they understand the reason why we worship God together and that is the worthiness of who God is. The only sufficient reason that we will ever have to gather with other knuckleheads who are just like us is that we value, we worship God Himself. Gathering together because of God is a far more compelling reason than people typically have for not gathering together. Now open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. There are a lot of reasons, stay in Psalm 122, we're going to come back there, but Matthew chapter 15. There are also a lot of reasons people give today, I think they're very self-focused about why they don't gather. It's the only day I get to sleep in. And again, rediscovering what worship is truly about should make the biggest difference in us. John Piper talks about that there is this inner essence of worship that always results in our outer display of what we do on the outside, and outer display and expression of love. Uh, The Apostle Paul calls this in Romans 12, our spiritual acts of worship, what we do, the inner that results in. The outer of what we do. Jesus speaks about this. Matthew 15, verse 8. He says, "This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me." This means you could say all the right words, but if your heart is far from who He is, then it's just vain worship. In the '90s and the early 2000s, there are all these band, Christian bands who made a lot of money in the Christian music scene, and then their record contracts get up, and then they just deny God. And what that shows is all of their songs, it was vain worship because it wasn't from their heart. They were just doing it for completely other reasons. This also goes to many of the works that we will do with our hands. You can help as many cats out of trees or old ladies across the street. I don't know who old ladies help across the street. Maybe it's the cats that get out of the tree. I don't know. But but you can do all the works you want with your hands. But if it doesn't come from here, it's not true worship. God wants all of us. He wants it to start our inner expressions that result in what we do on the outside. And we should be worshiping God because of the change that He has made in us. And this is one of the reasons we always go back to talking about the gospel. We see what Christ has done for us, and it changes our inner workings to go outward. You can go to as many church services as you want to, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we are worshiping God. Works themselves do not equal worship hope you're following me in that, Uh, open to John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to this woman at a well. She's a Samaritan, which is kind of an outcast. And it's interesting, this is the longest dialogue in recording the scriptures that Jesus has with anybody. And it is a woman who has been divorced five times and is living with another guy. And this is who Jesus spends his time with, which to me is simply amazing. This is John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. And this is what Jesus says in the middle of this discourse. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Very interesting way to say this, but notice worshiping in spirit is not contrasted with worshiping in the body or with the body, it's put alongside worshiping in truth. That's what it's put alongside of. That means part of our grasp of true worship, pleasing worship comes with the right mental grasp of who God truly is. And this is why we spend time looking at the scriptures. This is why we don't sit back and say, well, God is whatever I feel like he is, because that in the end is not gonna be true worship. Now go back to Psalm 122. page 332 again if you don't have that. So Psalm 120 starts in repentance where we stop believing the lies of the things that are around us and we return to who God calls us to be. Psalm 121 goes to trusting who God is and then you get to worship here. And if we worship anything other than God, whether it it can be a child, a spouse, it could be a job, a a house, if you worship anything other than God, you will not truly ever be able to worship God himself. And so we must understand what that means. So this is Peterson's translation of Psalm 122. This is what it says. When they, said to, when they said let's go to the house of God, my heart leapt for joy. And now we're here. Oh Jerusalem, inside Jerusalem's walls, Jerusalem will built city, built as a place for worship. The city to which the tribes ascend, all God's tribes go up to worship, to give thanks to the name of God. This is what it means to be Israel. Thrones for righteous judgment are set there. Famous David thrones, pray for Jerusalem's peace, prosperity to all you Jerusalem lovers. Friendly insiders get along, hostile outsiders keep your distance. For the sake of my family, Family and friends I say it again live in peace for the sake of the house of our God God I'll do my very best for you Now, when you read that, there's a lot of Jerusalem language in there. That's because that is where they were going to worship together. So you got to kind of get past that. Don't get all Jerusalem-centered, because this, again, is about worship. William Temple writes this, Worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by His holiness, the nourishment of mind with His truth, the purifying of imagination by His beauty, the opening of the heart to His love, the surrender of will to His purpose, and all of this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable and therefore worship is the chief remedy for that self-centeredness, which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. What he's saying is true worship of God has to have a focus of a heart grasp of God's supreme value. Understanding who he is because of who he's revealed himself to be. That's a right valuing of God's worth. And God's worth is infinite. So true worship, again, values and treasures God above all things, above all things. Louis Giglio says it like this, worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who He is and what He has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. It is our entire lives, how we live out our lives. Some people like to use words like treasuring God and delighting in God and prizing God and reverencing God and being satisfied with God. But they are all references to these inner responses that in turn become an outer action of how we begin to live. They reflect His infinite worth and beauty. And that's what worship was designed to do. Put the supreme worth of God on display by how his people live. John Frame says it like this, redemption is the means, worship is the goal. In one sense, worship is the whole point of everything. It is the purpose of history, the goal of the whole Christian story. Worship is not one segment of the Christian life among others, worship is the entire Christian life seen as a priestly offering to God. And when we meet together as a church, our time of worship is not merely a preliminary to something else, rather, it is the whole point of our existence as the body of Christ. And what that tells you is worship is more than just music. Worship is all that we do and how we gather and the words that we use with one another. And in this, there are two things that come out of it. Hebrews chapter 13 verses 15 and 16 says, Through him then, let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, and do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So what you see is this then is lived out in two ways. First off, acts of the mouth. That's why he says, fruit of the lips. Acts of praise, repentance, our joy, the words that we use, the worship services, smaller gatherings, that, what comes out of our mouth. And secondly, the acts of the body. And the acts of the body would be things that show God's supreme value by how we're willing to sacrifice for the good of others around us. And when you read that word sacrifice, sacrifice is always used in connection with worship. Worship is sacrifice. Now, again, when you read the psalm, you have to be careful not to become Jerusalem-centered. In that day, that's where the corporate gathering was. But we are a people who live after Christ came. All they're looking for came to fruition in Christ Himself. So we don't look to, to Jerusalem. We look to Christ, who enables us to fully worship God as He is going up to Jerusalem for these people. They would get there and they would offer sacrifices to God. We are people who are also supposed to sacrifice, why? Because God gave His first and His best for us. So we give our first and best to Him. It's a response to what He has done. Christ comes, dies for our sin. He gives us His life, His forgiveness, the resurrection brings us to new life. God gives us first and His best so we respond that way. Our salvation comes because God first gave And so in this we see sacrificial worship of Him is with our lips, our singing, our praying, our repenting, our confessing, our listening, our learning, our sharing with one another, and then it is with our hands, giving of our time and our income and our forgiveness to others. Those are pleasing acts of worship to God. Now the Psalms, they will use different words sometimes that sound different to our ears. And so you got to see this is also all written in poetry. Uh, John Piper writes this. The inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all earthly things. And then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in demonstrable acts of praise from the lips and demonstrable acts of love in serving others for the sake of Christ. Okay. I know I've given you a lot of information. If you have missed it, you can go back and listen to the podcast, okay? It's gonna be there. Uh, And so, but I want you to understand that as these Psalms travel these people forward, these are the things that they would most likely think about and come back to over and over in that journey to bring them back to understanding what they were actually going to do. We are going and we're gonna worship God. Each step of the journey was supposed to take them further in what discipleship looks like. Repenting, trusting, worship, deep, Full, rich, strong. I know it sounds like coffee terms, but they stole those from God. Deep, full, rich, strong worship of God. And so it's a valuable exercise for us to think through then what we worship in our lives. And I think a good way to do that is, uh, think about this in terms of law. A very large part of the American legal system is based upon Christian virtues. Now some will say you can't legislate morality. I would say every single law we have is actually legislated morality. So think about it. If you're able to remove all laws from society, not that you could, if you made a law that said no laws, Well, that'd be a law, so you can't really get rid of all laws. But if you were to do that or remove all uh, types of consequences for people breaking said laws, we don't know how much murder or theft or whatever would start to take place. So think about that in our lives, If there was no law over you constraining you for anything. How would you then live? Would we still live like we love and worship God or would we not? How would we live? Uh, Peterson writes this, we do know that much of what we commonly describe as Christian behavior is not volitional at all. It is enforced. And part of what the Psalm is trying to get us to understand is that worship is not something you can force on anybody. It's not done by the end of the gun. It's not done by the end of a sword. Now that doesn't mean if you have kids and they go, I don't wanna go to church, you shouldn't take them to church with you. You should, because if it's important to you they live in your house, They, they should go so they can see what it's about. But you can never force someone to worship God, it's always voluntary. And again, a good way to look at what we truly worship is what do we have to do when we don't have to do anything at all? What do we do? Beginning of COVID-19, everybody's locked in their houses. What do we do? Do we still read our Bibles? Do we still pray? Do we still worship? What, What do we do? How do we begin to live our lives when we don't really have to do anything? How do we spend our leisure time? How do we spend our money? A good way to look at what's really important to you is where does your money actually go? Where do we spend our money? What websites do you click on? How do you value the dignity of people around you? How about even those politicians that you hate? Do you pray for them? Do you want them to come to know Christ? Do you want them to die? Or do you want them to live and come to the knowledge of who Jesus is? I ask myself sometimes when I drive down the road and country music comes, I'm like, God, please save that person. (laughs) Now, here's what's interesting. It is pointed out that even today, when church attendance is dwindling in the United States of America, there are still more people who go to Sunday morning services than go to baseball games, football games, and golf courses combined. So if you wanna just say, worship is like the single most popular event that Americans do in a given week, but are we truly worshiping God? Are we truly worshiping God? The psalm writer says, when they said, let's go to the house of God, my heart leapt for joy. Well, that's true and real and excited worship. But again, for us, when we go, is it real worship? Is, are we centered upon who God is and what He has done and what He continues to do? Or is it vain worship? One writer for the Gospel Coalition says it like this, Worship is the response of the whole being, heart, soul, mind, strength to beholding God's glory. It is enabled by the Holy Spirit. It is fixated on gospel truth. And that means that everything we do in our lives is meant to be worship. It's not just coming here. It's not just the temple for the Israelites. It's every single bit of our lives. Now, can we be more focused in the church setting? Yes. And that's why I think it's good for us to gather together and talk through the scriptures and and do that because it really does focus us a little bit more. But sometimes when people will use the word worship to refer to music, we're demeaning what worship truly is. Worship is all that we do. When you guys stand outside here and you're just jibber jabbering with everybody else, and when the band starts playing a song, try to get you to come inside. You know, you being out there with one another, that can also be worship. Now I know next week you're gonna be like, "Stop it! I'm worshiping out here. Leave me alone." You're gonna keep going. But you come in here, we sit down, you, you, we, you listen to me when, when I'm on, right? You listen to me, you, you take notes, you sing songs, you pray, you take communion, you walk out of these walls into the world around us. How we live and treat others, that is going to reflect how we worship God. Everything we do should display the worth and the value of God in our lives. And so often, it doesn't. So often, we are focusing more and more on ourselves. What what our lives are supposed to be is the gospel on display. For people who don't know what the gospel is, they get to see the results of the gospel in our lives by how we live. Every moment of our lives, we are worshipers, and we will worship someone or something. Even if it's not God himself, we will worship something, and we want it to be God himself. The concept of worship is just cosmically and absolutely essential to who we are. So ask, what am I worshiping? I think from the very beginning of the scriptures, you see into the very fabric of the world that God created. He created creation to worship who he is. I think it goes deeper than DNA or atoms or subatomic particles. Creation was made to glorify God because when God is most glorified, his creation begins to live in joy. And we have to understand that once we get that, that our lives will never make sense apart from truly worshiping who God is. And when we understand that, we'll take what we worship far more seriously. There's this famous quote. It's attributed to Ralph Waldo Emerson, but now there's some debate whether he said it or not. But this is what it is. A person will worship something, have no doubt about that. We may think our tribute is paid in, the, in secret and in dark recesses of our hearts, but it will come out. Meaning sometimes we say, we're worshiping, I don't want people to see what I'm worshiping, I just worship in here. But he says it will come out. That which dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine our lives and our character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship, for what we are worshiping, we are becoming." This is why it's important to be honest with ourselves from Psalm 120, right? Stop believing the lies we're telling ourselves or the culture around us saying when we turn to who God calls us to be, believe His truth, then we trust Him in Psalm 121, and that results in worship because we will become like that what we worship. We will become like that. If we worship money, we will spend endless hours obsessing over it, thinking we never have enough. How do we get more? Maybe you'll buy lottery tickets, thinking it's going to get you more. You will spend long hours working. You will neglect those you're supposed to love. You'll find maybe even ways to sue other people to get it. If you worship sex, you're going to spend your time obsessing about others and thinking about how to make yourself attracted to them or how to use them. You'll spend time on websites and you'll completely start to destroy yourself with hookups and you'll eventually despair. If you worship youth as our culture does, you're never gonna feel beautiful enough. Your skin's never tight enough. You're not in the best shape that you could be. I just gotta, you will constantly destroy yourself. If you worship any identity in your life other than who God has called you, if you worship anything other than God, be it an identity, Other than child of God, we are forever gonna be lost. It will destroy us. We must realize who God made us to be, a people who worship Him first above all things. And anything less than that is less than God and it will destroy us every single time. Eugene Peterson, in long obedience in the same direction, tells this story where he uh, is meeting with this older woman who was going through some troubles in her life. And so he's going to her house to, to show up. And it's, he goes, it's kind of interesting. When I get there, she already had answered her question. She was going to ask me. As a pastor, I love it when that happens, when you're right with your answer, by the way. Uh, so as he, he's getting there and, and, and she's embroidering on this thing. If You know what embroidery is? You have this really tight piece of cloth. And then it's put in this frame that holds it tight so you can embroider in it. And when he shows up, she, this is what she says to him. Pastor, I'm waiting for you to come. I realize what's wrong with me. I don't have a frame. I never know where I am. I need a frame for my life like I have one for my embroidery. Our lives need a frame. This is another person likens this to uh, flying a kite. It can be a great windy day outside. And if you throw a kite in the air, what's going to happen? It's going to go and it's going to hit the ground. Unless what? It's tethered by a string. Our lives don't make sense unless we're tethered to Christ himself. Our lives don't make sense unless we have a frame. And this framework comes from properly worshiping God. That's where the framework comes from. How do we live in a solid structure when we don't know where we stand? How do we get solid footing to navigate our areas of anxiety and depression or even hope and joy? How do we work well even when everyone around us is crooked and twisted? We worship Jesus as he has revealed himself to be. And this is what these Psalms of Ascent are meant to do. Each one, they reveal to us more and more of who God is. And that worship moves us to a place where we adore God and we long to see Him as He truly is and how He created us to be and the ways in which He leads us. So we know where we stand. So let me give you three things to bring this together, okay? Number one is this. We worship because we need to be in a relationship with God. We worship because we need to be in a relationship with God. Worship is a place where we obey the command to praise God. The psalm says to give thanks to the name of the Lord. This is what it means to be God's people. This command, give thanks, runs right down the center of a Christian life. We are thankful for what God did because we are the people who ran away from Him. We mess up our lives. and What we find is that God doesn't leave us. He instead enters our troubles and saves us. That's good news. God who made us, he redeems us, he provides for us. And the natural, honest, logical response to that is praising God. That's the response. When we praise, we're functioning correctly. We're in touch with the basic core reality of being. Now, sometimes you might think, well, I don't feel like worshiping God today. Well, the psalm writer says, I don't care if you feel like it, you do it. You just do it. Secondly, we worship because it keeps our attention centered on God. We worship because it keeps our attention centered on God. When you read in this psalm the word judgment there, the the biblical idea of judgment is where God puts everything right. It's not about destruction. In Psalm 122, these thrones of judgment, those are where reality is actually announced. Judgment is not a word about things. It doesn't describe things. What judgment does is it puts love into motion. That's what judgment does. It applies mercy. Judgment orders goodness. That's what it does. Peterson writes this Every time we we worship, our minds are informed, our memories refreshed with the judgments of God. We are familiarized with what God says and what He has decided, the ways He is working out our salvation. So we want to hear not just what God says about creation, but what God says about ourselves. Worshiping recenters that attention, which goes to number three that we worship because it recenters us on the gospel we worship because it re-centers us on the gospel. See, we repeat, we remember what God has done and it brings us back. Does real worship make any difference in how we live? Of course it does, of course it does. Whatever we worship is gonna come out in what we do in our lives. So we must always go back to how we were saved by Christ Himself, how He gave Himself for us and His resurrection to bring us new life. It changes how we live, not just the rest of the week, but the rest of our lives. The final words of Psalm 122, Go like this, friendly insiders, get along. Hostile outsiders, keep your distance. For the sake of my family and friends, I say it again, live in peace. For the sake of the house of our God, God will do my very best for you. Now let me read this to you out of the English Standard Version. This is, a, this is more of a word-for-word translation of that. May they be secure who love you. Peace within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. See in Peterson's, it's kind of self-focused. When you see the actual word for word, it's it's kind of more outwardly focused. And what this tells you is this language that's being said here is when true worship takes place, it begins to result in new relationships in the city and in society. When we properly worship God, it is going to change us to be a people who build new relationships with those around us. And I love this word pray here because it actually moves into the everyday. In the Hebrew word, it's the word for ask. It's the word for ask. And the asking in the psalm is not this, this formal prayer in the sanctuary. What it is, it's an informal asking about us going about every single day of our lives, day by day. And the actual word, it's used for like a second helping of bread when you're still hungry. It's like, please, sir, may I have another? It's, God, I am so hungry for you. I am so hungry to see what you're doing in the world. Change my heart to understand and reflect to you more and more. Have me be undone by you. Peterson writes this, worship does not satisfy our hunger for God. It wets our appetite. Our need for God is not taken care of by engaging in worship. It deepens. It deepens. When we worship correctly, it deepens and deepens. Each step of this discipleship journey, it deepens and deepens. We worship wherever we are in spirit and in truth. We prize Jesus above all things. We serve others as God has first served us in a long obedience in the same direction. What direction is that? the direction that God is taking us. That's the direction. Repent. We trust in God's truth. We worship who he is. Why? Because of the gospel, because of what God has done. This is one of the reasons every week at Element, we take you to this place of communion as a reminder of what God has done to bring us back to himself. The supreme worth and value of our lives should be God himself and us and his rescue of us because that, the result of that, makes us children of God. Again, I, we don't worship our identities, we worship Christ, and the result of worshiping Him makes us a people who become His children. This is why you take that cracker and you breathe that Christ's body is broken for us. And you drink the grape juice as a reminder of His blood that was shed for us because we could not save ourselves. But God does not leave us in our mess of rebellion and running from Him. He comes to us where we are and leads us back to Himself. And so we get to be a people who are thankful every moment of every day of our lives. And that runs down the center of who we are and the center of our worship. Because God is the one who comes and restores us back to himself. The band's going to come up. As they do, I'm going to invite you to communion. If you need prayer, maybe you're in a place in your life today where, where you are stuck in the middle of something. You're just worshiping something that is defining your life and it is just destroying you. And you want to talk to someone about the goodness of who Jesus is and the rescue that that God longs to bring because you don't clean yourself up to come to Jesus. We're just all messed up. We come as broken as we are. And He is the one who restores us. And He is the one who gives us grace because we have nothing in ourselves to offer. And this is why He offered Himself for us. And so if you have something that you have just bet your entire life on and it is just destroying you, I would encourage you today to grab Sarah at the Welcome Center, which she'll connect you with somebody. We'd love to pray with you about that and talk to you about who Christ is and what He can do in all of our lives. There's offering boxes next to every door we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is a part of our worship. We don't pass a plate. It is simply that response in worship of what, seeing what God has first done, and so we in turn give because God first gave. And grab, you know, oh, there's, they're all gone again. And grab some sermon notes somewhere around here if we have any left. And go through them, you know, to, uh, take that daily question and then pray through the thing underneath it and read the psalm and come back to the idea that it's not Jerusalem-focused. It is worship-focused. We, when we gather together with one another, there's a beauty that comes out of it as God's Spirit moves among us. We want to be a people who encourage one another to see the ultimate value of who God is. That He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the rescuer of lost children. And He brings us back into His family because He is the one that loves us. And there is no one and nothing more worthy of worship than God Himself. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would take and move us to be a people who understand what true and real worship actually is. I ask that you'd reveal to us the things in our lives that we have been focusing upon that are not you. The things that we have been putting our trust in that is not you. And that you would then lead us and bring us back to yourself. In that returning to you, I ask that you would teach us to then trust you and in that trusting of you I ask that you then teach us to be those who worship you that in these first three steps of our discipleship journey that we get to this place where we would deeply understand in our core of who we are the worth and the value of you that we would see how great you are and that our focus would not be upon ourselves but upon you and that then we would live out our lives in this world in which you have placed us in ways that worship you by what we say and what we do, how we act and how we react, how we respond to what takes place around us in ways that continually return to lift you up. Have us be a people where our worship is centered upon you and not upon ourselves, have be centered upon what you have done, and that we would have an inner response that results in an outer display of worship of who you are, so the world would know how great and good our God is. We ask that in your Son's good name. Amen. And now Mark dropped the blinds, and as he does, I just want you guys to take a few moments here as we go through a song or two, and ask yourself, really... What have you been worshiping in your life? What are you worshiping? And I know for us Christians and people say they love Jesus, it's very hard for us to say, well, I worship, I worship something else and not Jesus, but we all do. We all do. I just talking to somebody recently, you know, and the guy's lived over half a century and, and his life is a mess. And I go, you know, what do you do? He's all, oh, I want to figure it out. And I go, this is not working. You figuring you out is not working. You need to stop thinking you're the answer because we're not the answer. So what I'd like you to do is take a couple of moments. Think through what you've been chasing, what you think is going to fulfill you other than Christ, and then allow Jesus to bring you back and to see who he is, his supreme worth and value of what he has done in the gospel to rescue us, and then begin to worship him first. Because that is what changes our lives when we fully worship God for who he is.